Welcome to the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the kind sponsorship from NoiseAware. NoiseAware is an easy-to-use preventative noise monitoring solution that is wire-free and completely weatherproof with the option of interior and exterior sensors. And when you make your purchase from NoiseAware, use the promotional code VRFORMULA to receive 20% off. Again, that's VRFORMULA. Listen in for the mid-episode break where we will answer another question about NoiseAware. Let's get started. Here's your host, Heather Bayer. Hey, folks. Well, this is going to be an episode that anybody in this business needs to listen to because it's all about getting out of the business. It's about your exit strategy and why you have to have an exit strategy from day one. Unless you're like me and we probably waited till day 6,050 or something to think about an exit strategy. But my guest today is from c2gadvisors.com. They're a Nashville-based company, and they specialize in real estate brokerage, particularly for vacation rental companies or vacation rental individuals, in fact, who are thinking about selling their business. And we'll also touch upon buying businesses too. So listen in. This is going to be extremely useful as I talk to Jacoby Olin from c2gadvisors.com. This is the Vacation Rental Success Podcast, keeping you up to date with news, views, information and resources on this rapidly changing short-term rental business. I'm your host, Heather Bayer, and with 25 years of experience in this industry, I'm making sure you know what's hot, what's not, what's new and what will help make your business a success. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Bayer, and as ever, super delighted to be back with you again. And we're sort of, I'd like to say halfway through winter, but I think we're probably more than halfway through winter. You know, we've um, we've seen Wyatt and Willie, who is our groundhog for Groundhog Day, forecasting that it's going to be an early spring. So if you live in the US, of course, and you are listening to Pennsylvania's Groundhog, then I'm sorry, folks, you've got another six weeks of winter. But uh, I'll take it. I'll take the early spring, of course. I can't wait for that to happen. The sun is getting higher in the sky and it is actually there's a bit of warmth in it. I feel spring in the air. And of course, you know, it's been a year now since we went into this pandemic and I'm saying no more about it than that. We all know it. It's been a weird 12 months for all of us. And I'm sure at some point we've all thought, what am I doing in this business? Is this the right business for me? Should I be thinking about getting out of the business? Maybe somebody has come along to you and said, hey, I'd like to get into this business. Would you sell to me? What do you want for it? Have you any idea? what you might ask for your business if you were to sell it. Do you know how to calculate that valuation? Have you even thought about it? Have you even thought about, you know, what, what you would do if you have staff, how, how you would pass your business on? And I'm not talking here about passing business on to family because I know a lot of people do that when they're, they have a property management company and the whole family piles in and works it. And then the matriarch and the patriarch move on and leave the business to the young ones. And I know a large number of these businesses that have been in families for years and years and years, and maybe you are one. 
And, and of course, when you do that transfer of power, if you like, from one generation to the next, there's a lot involved in that. But we're not talking about that here today. We're talking about selling, actually selling the business to another entity or another person. And what happens? What, how do you do that? And you know, it's all in the planning from really the, the day you start the business, you need to have a strategy for exiting the business. It just makes a huge amount of sense because if you do that from the start, or from the middle, if that's where you are at the moment. Uh, you know, maybe you're not thinking about selling for another 10 or 15 years, but having that exit strategy in place right now, something that you can update every single year. So if that time comes when, and I hope this would never happen to anybody, but maybe illness forces your hand and makes you realize that, you, want, you don't want to be working 24-7 in this business. You know, it's time to go and live a life somewhere else, maybe on a Caribbean island or whatever. Are you in a position, if that suddenly happened out of the blue, are you in a position to just put the business on the market, know exactly what you want for it and sell it in the correct way and certainly find the right people for it? Because it's, it's not like selling a car where you don't really care who comes along and buys it. When you sell a business like this, you do have a vested interest in what's going to happen to it. Is the reputation going to be carried forward? Because it's always sad. And I have seen some of these businesses where they have been sold on and the person buying it has really had no clue. And within a very short space of time, they are struggling. And it's very difficult for the person who's selling. Anyway, I don't want to be talking about this because I have a specialist to discuss it with me. Um, So I can ask some questions because, you know, I have a property management business. We have a very loose exit strategy. You know, sometime in the future, my business partner and I are going to sell this business. We don't know when that is. And we have some sort of idea of what it would look like, but nothing that's really down on paper that we can file and bring it out every year and say, okay, let's update this. How, how could we update the valuation based on previous year's activity and income analysis, etc.? So today I have with me Jacoby Olin from C2GAdvisors.com. And they are a Nashville-based consulting firm that specializes in the preparation for sale of vacation rental businesses. And they have dealt with a number of you know, major sales and acquisitions of this nature. So I've got a ton of questions to ask Jacoby. So without further ado, let's move on over to that interview. So I am super delighted to have with me today Jacoby Olin, who is the president at C2G Advisors and Olin Realty Group. So Jacoby's been involved in short-term rentals for over a decade, and he is one of the preeminent. I'm reading this from his uh, from from his bio on on the site. So preeminent mergers and acquisitions consultants in the short-term rental industry, and I'm really excited to have Jacoby with me because I know so many of you have been asking about exit strategy. Well, actually, you haven't, but but. 
I want to address it because it's something that we really need to be talking about in this business. Certainly at this time, I think, when there's so many people who are thinking, you know, should I still be in this business? So huge welcome to you, Jacoby. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Heather. Super excited to be here and to, uh, yeah, talk all things M&A. Well, how did you actually get into this business in the first place? I am one of the uh, the weird ones that was actually uh, born and raised in this industry. I've been a part of it since I was I was a kid. I remember growing up with my siblings, cleaning cleaning high rise condominium units along the Gulf Coast of Florida, taking out trashes and stuff of that nature. I had no idea what I was doing, what the industry was, what my father was a part of. I thought they were hotels, and then did all the schooling and uh, kind of got out of it for for a while. Was a restaurateur for for just shy of a decade. That's where I met my wife. And uh, she is much wiser than I am and helped convince me to get out of the food and beverage business. And then I, I kind of got, got sucked back into this industry back in 2017 and uh, joined C2G Advisors and uh, been, been here ever since. Loving it. We, we help people grow or sell through uh, mergers and acquisitions. I think... I mean, you're in one of those businesses that absolutely everybody in the industry needs at some point or another. Right. You know, it's, it's not just, well, I, you know, I, I don't use Instagram, so I don't need to learn about Instagram. <laughs> but, <laughs> and, you know, that, that, that type of thing. But everybody that is a property manager at some point is going to need to consider a, an exit strategy. You know, how do we get out of here? So I, I guess there's two types, and I mentioned this in, in the introduction, that, that there are, like, like you, fam- the family businesses that get handed down from generation to generation, which is, in fact, very much of a different animal, I guess, how you go through that process. But for those of us out there who at one time, who are going to, you know, get a little long in the tooth and <laughs> think, I think it's time for retirement. You know, I need to retire and go and experience all these vacation rentals we've been talking about for so many years and experience it without having to have a laptop out 24 hours a day. So I want to talk about this exit strategy because, you know, we, we, we had a bit of a discussion about this a, a week or so back. And we talked about the fact that the exit strategy is one of the things that every business should do when they start the business. So can we go back to the beginning? Because I know we haven't, we didn't do that. And I know many other companies have probably never even really thought about what an exit strategy actually is. So, so let's start there. How does an owner or a manager prepare for the eventual sale of their company right from the very beginning of their company? Yeah, that is a great and very robust question. <laughs> There's the old adage, uh, like begin with the end in mind. And it's never too early to start preparing your company, but it's, it's also never too late, to, to be honest. In a perfect world, the holy grail would be to show three years of everything going up and to the right. Your unit growth going up, your revenues going up, and your profitability going up. But that's, that's just not feasible for everybody, and not everyone has, has focused on that, so, uh, that it, which is fine. But I guess, I guess three things that we could, we could talk about with that is, uh, first, uh, the financial aspect. So to, if you're starting today, 
uh, to start trying to prepare your business for the eventual sale in 12 months or so. Starting with revenues, you'll want to, there's kind of two, two main ways to grow your revenues other than ancillary revenues, which are a whole different beast in different markets. But the two ways to grow them are by unit growth and by revenue growth per unit. There are fantastic companies out there that focus on both of these. Uh, our industry has come in incredible ways in the last five to 10 years with, with, uh, with different technologies and softwares to help there. But you're going to want to focus on, I guess, unit growth first is the most important. And you'll want to try to have a specific employee or group of employees that are going to focus on that, that biz dev side, that salesman type of side of the business. If you're the general manager or you're asking your general manager to also focus on that, that's just, it's going to be too much on their plate. So focusing on that is, is super important. And then once again, growing your revenues per unit. Um, there's still several companies out there that set their rates three times a year per season or four times a year and all, all that stuff, you're going to want to try to extract as much money per unit as you can. And I know all of that is a lot harder than it <laughs> than I'm saying right now, but focusing on that immediately is, is very important. The other part that goes along with that is, is revenues are great and all, but you need profits to go along with those. I'm not the best on expenses, but one way I like to I like to think about this is you want your profits to be at least 10% of your your gross revenues, okay? So if you kind of look at it backwards to find your what your expenses can be per unit on an individual unit basis, if you if you pro forma a unit that you're bringing on and it might do $50,000 a year in in rent, then you're going to want to profit at least $5,000 a year. So that gives you the buffer as to what your expenses can be for that individual unit. So that's, that's kind of focusing on, on the financials aspect of your company. If you're looking at each individual unit, you're finding units that are actually losing you money, you got to get them off your program. And, and that happens. It's tough. But so that's the financial aspect. Um, the next important aspect, very important, is staffing. This is a very high touch, localized industry. <laughs> and um, two things with this is first, if you're the owner, you do not want to be the face of the company for your homeowners. Okay. You do not want to be the homeowner relations role for your company if you're looking at selling. When you're preparing to sell, you want to transition that role to another employee or even a whole division, depending on how big your company is, because the buyer is going to be wary that if they're buying a company and the, the owner of the company is leaving, that they might lose 25% of the homeowners. So they'll, they'll actually put part of your, your purchase price will be contingent on homeowners staying. The second part of that with staffing, which isn't as important, but it is still an important part is if you can get to the point to where you can fully remove yourself from the business, that is the holy grail there. So I know that's not feasible for everybody, but if you can groom a general manager or director of ops or whatever you want to call them inside of your company, and you can kind of have somebody running it for when a potential buyer comes on, 
that would be another huge help if you're looking at the eventual retirement and sipping Mai Tais in the Caribbean. (laughs) The third kind of part to that is your homeowner contract. And this is also extremely important. Two things with this is you want to, you want to standardize these if you can. You want to get these as all the contracts as similar as possible. If that means kind of re-upping some of these contracts, then, then you want to do that prior to selling your company. I can't tell you how many companies we talked with that have had 10, 20, 30% of their contracts were basically just verbal where they've had these homeowners on their, their program for 20 years or so. And, and unfortunately, a buyer is not going to be okay with that. They're going to make sure that you, you have to have the homeowner sign a new contract prior to closing. So you want to kind of get that out of the way so that doesn't bring up any, any worries throughout the deal. And then you'll want to make sure that there is uh, an assignability clause in each one of the, the contracts. And that basically is saying that you're allowed to assign that contract to another party, to the, the, the potential buyer, um, because that could obviously mess up a potential deal. So those are, those are three things to focus on. I mean, there's a lot more, but obviously focusing on your financials, cleaning those up, focusing on staff, trying to get a, get a good staff, try to remove yourself as much as possible, and then clean up your, your management contracts. And uh, yeah, you'll be, you'll be well on your way doing those three things. <laughs> um, I, well, I think there's, a, there's such a lot to unpack there. And yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, for a, for a uh, you know for a, for a company like 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 our own, we may consider selling in the next five to ten years. And we've been, you know, my my business partner and I have been involved heavily involved in the business right the way from the start. We've been going for eighteen years, and you know, when you say remove yourself from the business, it's like oh my goodness, you know. Um, I, I've been trying to do this, you know, I've, I've been trying to do this for, for a number of years, but it is tough. But we did in, in light of something that I heard from another property manager a few years ago, and I think it was at a, a VRMA conference, and it was about exit strategy. And she said the most important thing we ever did was to hire a general manager, somebody who would be the face of the company, somebody that every owner knew, because I think so many property managers you start the business as you know that they, they start with their their own homes and then they bring in a few friends and people they know and then it, it snowballs from there but they are the face of the company and I can certainly understand that if um, if they have owners who pick up you know that they're on their they're on their um, short code line you know it's and they text them backwards and forwards and they're yeah. friends they get together so they might have been with the company for, for 10 years and maybe they're not as happy with the company as they've ever said. So if a sale happens, that is their trigger to jump ship. Would you agree? Yeah, it, that is, that is all correct. And that, that does happen, unfortunately. Yes. I mean, it's, it's your baby. You've built this thing from the ground up for many years, uh, some people 20 years or so. So that it is extremely tough, but the earlier that you can do that, now you can still have the conversations. If you love onboarding homeowners or doing that kind of biz dev role or whatever, that's fantastic. Keep doing that. But the day-to-day, the month-to-month annual 
back and forth that needs to slowly start transitioning to somebody else, Mm -hmm. or you need to, uh, you and the eventual buyer will need to come up with a really good transition process and how to communicate that to the homeowners that may be more stickier to you. Um, And you can talk to them and massage that relationship and word it more as some type of partnership and stuff like that. There, there's a lot of ways to do it to try to help protect mm-hmm. um, those homeowners to to stay on. But yeah, it, in the end, it, it will it will eventually come down to just kind of how the buyer runs the company after you sell. And th- there's there's a lot of different ways to keep them running mm-hmm. it as similar as possible to how you run it as well. The other point you make, which I think is is extremely relevant, is the homeowner contracts because I know. I'm, from our experience, we we may have signed on an owner 15 years ago, and we signed a contract at that at that point. And <laughs> and I know so some one of our owners asked us for that contract recently. Do you have a copy? And I thought, wow, that's going back. So you know, we're we're down in the archives looking for this faxed contract. Do you remember fax machines? Uh, this faxed contract. Um, so, so we're actually in the process. We, we, we know all our contracts are done v- with digital signatures. So, and the, but in the past, they've always been rolling contracts, like many have. You know, you sign it in the beginning, it rolls over year after year, unless there's a, there's, there's a material change. Well, we've made a number of changes. So we, we have, we're in the process of reissuing all our contracts um, on the, you know, a digital signing method. So we have them all coming back. They all go in a safe place. They don't go in a box under the stairs, <laughs> which is where ours were. And so I, so I think that, I mean, that a lot of what you talked about actually is, is almost, you know, administrative housekeeping that perhaps we should be doing all the time, but we don't because it doesn't seem that important. So calling it an exit strategy is perhaps a really good alternative expression to use for doing some really good administrative housekeeping. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A, uh, a buyer is going to want to, they're, they're going to want to buy a, a well-oiled machine and the more hair that's on a company, sorry for my, my terminology, <laughs> but uh, the more kind of complicated and complex and, and like old school, the companies run, the, the tougher it's going to be for a buyer to kind of bring it back to today's age and stuff of that nature. And, and they're just going to, they're going to put contingencies on a deal for those reasons. And you being the seller, like you want it to be as clean a deal as possible. Like I said, so you can be retired and, and hanging out with your, with your lump sum of money. <laughs> yes, we all wish. We all wish. Um, okay. Here's the big one. How does a company go about valuing what, they have to sell. How, how do, you, do you just say, oh, I really want to sell my company for X amount and that's what I'm going to do. But I think it's a bit more complicated than that. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is a little bit. Um, I wish I wish it was that easy. <laughs> you could you could just say it and, and it happened. The good thing is that with Airbnb going uh, public uh, late last year, there are more buyers in the industry, more more eyeballs looking in the industry. So that that only helps everybody right now. So uh, I know that's an aside, but that's that's a good good sign. Um, as for valuing a company, first off, I think a a seller there's there's a lot of information out there. Do some research. Take a step back. Go look. Uh, we've written some articles. There's been fantastic other people in the industry that have written articles about valuing. 
there, most of these companies are small and medium businesses, SMBs. So you can go online and you can Google valuations. Just go do research in other industries and in our industry. That'll help you just get a formulate an actual idea of a range of kind of where you are actually worth. So you can go in eyes wide open and be like, okay, that is, that's kind of what I was looking for. Or like, oh, that's a lot lower than I was hoping, or maybe higher than I was hoping. I, I don't know. But in our industry, we kind of do valuations. We see them in three different ways. There's the standard way that, that still happens the most. And that's a multiple of the company's trailing 12 months adjusted EBITDA. And EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. Um, it's basically a company's profit, okay? So they're, they're trailing 12 months, their last 12 months profit. And uh, the, the multiples are still pretty standard. They're around three to five of that. There are some, some companies that put in a lot of personal expenses into the company. Like uh, you might put your, your, uh, your car, car bill in there. Or if you, if you have season tickets to a football team or something, some, You've seen some crazy things. People put boats in there and stuff like that. So you would want to take out certain certain of your personal expenses. And then you put a, a, a multiple on that. And that multiple varies by a, a ton of different factors. A lot of it varies by the market in which your company's in. Some markets are just better than other markets because of seasonality, because of uh, average management fees. That multiple can go higher based on just how well your company is run. If you have good infrastructure, if you have good staff, if all your management contracts are up to date and are nice, that can help push the multiple up. So that's that's one way, kind of a multiple of EBITDA. Uh, the other way is a multiple of, of a company's net revenues. And net revenues are is the company's management portion of revenues plus any ancillary revenues they bring in from credit card processing fees, cleaning fees, what whatever that company does. And that's typically around a 1x multiple of that. That can vary quite a bit as well, but it, it's another good way to just kind of back and back and take a look. And then lastly, and this this happens quite a bit as well, is buyers will do a contract purchase and they'll actually value your company just on a per contract basis. They'll put a price per contract. And that happens a lot for either larger national players or maybe a, a larger player in your region or market that may already have the infrastructure in your market. They may already have great staff or a general manager or and different uh, property management systems and dynamic pricing companies, all that stuff. So they may already have the infrastructure built out, but they really just want your contracts, your homeowners. Mm-hmm. So they, they may put a, a price per contract and just pay straight like that. And that that is usually, once again, this varies quite a bit, but that is usually around uh, 20 to 40% of that individual contract's uh, revenues. So if a unit does $50,000 a year, a buyer might pay between 10 and 20 grand for that for that contract. Okay, that's an interesting one. I hadn't uh, I hadn't heard of that one. Okay, that that's great great information. I'm making lots of notes here. I hope I'll be able to transcribe <laughs> them well enough. Okay, so so let's say uh 
company has done all of this. They've got everything in place. They've got what they believe is a reasonable value. How do they find a buyer? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> just start knocking on doors. <laughs> well, do you go, no, I mean, do you go like, to your do you go to your competitors because that that is sort of saying hey you know I'm in the open market but I really don't want to keep that I don't, I don't want to spread that information about you know it's uh, uh, because my you know your owners might hear about it exactly exactly it is a it is a a very careful process I would say um, it's not like there's a marketplace online that has all vacation rental or short-term rental companies for sale on the marketplace. And you go click on there and you find which one you want for that very reason, because it, you do kind of want to be careful when you're looking at selling, because like you said, competitors can get wind, they can reach out to your homeowners and, and you don't want that process or even your employees. So the the most basic way, if you can always post it on like a biz buy sell or something of that nature, that is kind of a, a businesses for sale marketplace. You can post it on there. That doesn't happen super often, but uh, you can post it on there if you're looking at saving money or or you understand or you've done the actual sale or buy process before and you feel confident, you can do that. But the, the most typical way, or if you're not looking at doing an advisor, you can also, if you do have a good relationship with another company in your market, maybe they are a competitor, maybe they're not, maybe they have different inventory than yours, they might have higher or lower end than you have the other one, you can take them out to lunch or do a virtual lunch and talk to them about that. That, that might be a play. But the, the most common way to do it is to, uh, yeah, reach out to, to an advisor or a broker, somebody like us or others fantastic ones in the industry, their full job is to do this exact thing. Just like a property manager's job is to host guests and keep guests and homeowners happy. Our job and other brokers and advisors' job is to source and to close deals. So an advisor will will know all the different players in the industry, all the buyers that are that are hungry, that are that are looking in that particular market, and then they would be able to kind of talk with you through everything, kind of help help uh, value your company and then tell you who the players might be and all, all of that fun stuff. So there are definitely some options, but there's not like a vacation rental bulletin board of, of companies for sale. It's probably for a good reason. Um, so here's a question for you. How much do these services cost? You know, what's what the sort of range if you're thinking about going to an advisor, um, a business broker? They, there's no There's no pricing at the top of the website (laughs) (laughs) for good reason yes no i'm kidding (laughs) it is typically a percentage of the deal think of it as like uh, as like a realtor if you're buying a house or so yeah most of them they eat what they kill so they're gonna work their butt off for you and if they can't find you someone you wipe your hands clean and you leave but their their job isn't just to find the buyer their job is to to help value your company to talk to you about who all the different buyers are, who they think is the best, stuff like that. And then to actually hold your hand throughout the entire process. Mm -hmm. Because for most people, they don't buy and sell companies on a day-to-day basis. So it, it can be stressful and complex and stuff of that nature. So that it's typically it's it's a percentage of the the final deal. Okay. Um, and that that percentage varies. It's usually kind of uh, think of it like the progressive tax rate. 
it, it uh, as the um, except it goes the opposite way. As the deal gets more expensive, usually the the percentage goes down. Okay. Yeah. Well, that well that that, that figures. That figures. Um, I'm just going to take just a break out for a moment, uh, Jacoby, to hear from our sponsors, Noise Aware, and I have Michael Golden here, who's going to answer another question. So I'll be back to you in a second. got some very small properties we've got massive properties how many sensors are commonly needed in a property do you need more than one if you have a a big place the easy answer is in condos and in apartments you just need one indoor sensor and in most single family homes you just need one indoor and one outdoor now you can get into the the mansions and the massive properties and the manor houses and things like that and in those cases you'll want to put one in the obvious places people congregate. There could be a uh, living room and a kitchen part upstairs and downstairs. There could be a bar and a playroom and a game room that maybe you want to monitor noise in both of those locations. But the majority of houses out there, you're you're just going to need it in the common space, one indoor and one outdoor. As much as I would love to sell, you know, thousands more devices that are unnecessary, uh, that's not our, our MO. We, we're there to stop the noise and we'll do it as efficiently as possible. That was great. Thank you, Michael Goldin of NoiseAware for answering another one of our frequently asked questions about the product. So back to Jacoby Olin of C2G Advisors. And this is gold, all this information. I am, there you go. That's <laughs> my notes. <laughs> loads and loads of notes i'll try and get as much as i can into the show notes but i'm sure people are going to come back and and want to know more from you jacoby um just answer me this question what are the mistakes that sellers make most often because you must have come across a number of areas where they've made mistakes yeah yeah that's a that's a good question i guess first and this is we've talked about this quite a bit but just not setting their company up for the end in mind. That is, I can't stress how important that is to, to focus on staffing, to focus on management contracts, do all of this prior to the deal, get all of your ducks in a row. That is super important. I, I, like I said, I can't stress that enough. Another thing, uh, I guess, like I'd mentioned is, is do your research beforehand about what companies are valued, what multiples they are, get a range of what your company is like prior. So you actually can go into the deal eyes wide open because you don't want to have a number in mind and then go into a deal and, and that number is either way too low and you, you might get fleeced or, or you have just a, a, an unrealistic expectation in mind and, and you might have wasted your time of kind of going throughout the whole process because it is a stressful process. Uh, another uh, mistake that we see quite often, honestly, is um, the sellers hire the wrong attorney. Once a deal, once the, the letter of intent happens, and uh, and we can walk through kind of how a process looks. But once the letter of intent happens, then a seller and buyer then have their uh, two attorneys then start drafting the closing documents. 
And you really want a transactional attorney for this process. One that has done work in this industry before is just a plus, but having a, an actual transactional attorney is paramount. I can't tell you how many times that a seller's hired their sister's best friend who's an estate or divorce attorney to do it just because it was a close friend. And, and that actual person almost blew the whole deal up. That is very important. Another thing is the CPA as well. You'll want to speak to a, a CPA that's actually done work in transactions as well and talk to them about the, the tax effects that's going to happen to you because hopefully you want to retire or maybe you want to do, do another passion or, or project or something. So understanding the tax effect, because most deals aren't going to be a hundred percent cash up front. You wipe your hands clean and you walk away. They're going to be some finance over some amount of time. So you'll want to understand that and then understand what structure the deal needs to be in based on whether it needs to be an asset or stock deal based on what your company structure is, whether it's an LLC or an S-Corp or a C-Corp or a partner, whatever all that stuff needs to be. Just can't stress enough, do as much research on the front end as possible before diving in and then kind of all these different issues come up and it, it can ruin the deal. Mm -hmm. So that I, I guess just high level, that's some of the stuff we, we see. So one other thing, when you do the when, when you sell a house, right at the on closing day, you hand over the keys, you walk away, you drive off. That's it, done. <laughs> oh, you see, you're laughing. <laughs> Is how does this happen with the sale of a property management company? I, I'm assuming there's there's different styles of of doing this, but does anybody get to actually hand over the keys and just walk away on that day? Very rarely. There's. 99% of the time, there's a transitionary period, and it can be as low as little as 30 or 60 days, and it can be as long as two or three years. Every deal is so different. And that that's also, a lot of that has to do with what the seller wants too. Like I said, not all sellers are at retirement age and are ready to, to sail off on a yacht or whatever in the Caribbean. A lot of them they might love the biz dev portion, actual talking to homeowners, bringing out homeowners, but they hate the operations or they just want some money in their pocket or they're staying in the market. So they might enjoy doing some type of consulting role with the company only on like a bringing on new units basis where they get paid for doing stuff like that. But yeah, typically it is a uh, first 30, 60, 90 days um, the seller will stay on unless they are just fully not a part of the company. They haven't come in the office in three years, but that's very rare. They'll stay on and they'll help the new owner or if the new owner is bringing in new buyers, bringing in more staff. They'll help. They'll just help train them, introduce them to everything. And it's, it's a process, you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. your baby. So a new buyer has to learn the intricacies of the baby. Uh, they're trying to learn as much as possible as the deal's going on. But you just can't do all of that at one time. So, so yeah, it is not a, a hand the keys and drive off into the sunset type of thing that often. <laughs> so in my question list here, I had questions about people buying companies, but I 
I'm given the value that you've given, I'm going to drag you back for another episode. And I'd like to do another episode to look on the other side of that, if that's good for you. Sure. Does yeah. Work? Okay. I'd love to, love to join. So, so we'll have a part two, which looks at, you know, if, if you're thinking about buying a company, what you should be looking for. So does all this apply, this sales to an owner, you know, to an, an owner of three or four properties in the same way as it does with an established agency when they've been running it as a business? That's a good question. Um, I would say no, it is, it is too long and expensive of a process for somebody that has, I don't want to put an exact number, let's say less than 10 units. Mm -hmm. It is probably not, not a good idea to go through this whole process to hire these an advisor, your attorney, a CPA to go. the the best The best thing there is most likely to to hopefully you have some relationships with your competitors in the area. But that would be the that would be the time that you would take out a couple to a virtual coffee or lunch mm-hmm. and talk to them and and see who who would be interested and they would just buy those as a contract purchase and uh, keep it simple like that. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to end up net negative on the deal. Okay. And, and you don't you don't want to do that. No, that that that's a really good point. But uh, but still, the planning the exit strategy applies to absolutely everybody. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Getting your management contracts in, in place, trying to remove yourself as much as possible from the homeowner relations for sure. And, uh, and yeah, it's a lot easier said than done. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to leave you. <laughs> well, I'm going to, I'm going to leave this now. Cause I think we've, you've given the listeners so much to think about before, before we go, and we are going to come back and do a part two. How can people get in touch with you if they're interested in learning more and understanding a bit more about what uh, what C2G advisors do? How how will people get in touch with you? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. You can just go to our website, c2gadvisors.com. Feel free to email me. It's my first name, Jacoby, at c2gadvisors.com. I know I have a unique name. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, whatever else. Um, yeah, reach out anytime when, uh, we don't, we're not charging by the hour. We'd love to, to have an initial talk and go over any, any questions, any concerns. If you're just wondering any state of your market or the industry, we'd love to talk about it. We live and breathe, uh, short-term <laughs> vacation rentals. <laughs> well, it was so interesting to learn that I, I didn't realize that you were, you were born and brought up in this industry. You said it was unique. And in fact, I've, I've interviewed so many people who've, who's, just said, yeah, you know, I was I was cleaning hot tubs when I was when I was nine years old. You know? <laughs> well, yeah, there's so many new, amazing niches and companies and business models and softwares and technologies in this industry that it uh, and, and maybe I, I haven't talked to the same people as you, but I just I come across so many people that have been in this industry like less than five years or yes. three years or less. And I'm like, that is amazing. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we learned so much over these years. I, I always find it fascinating to find that you know, people who've been in the, who've been doing it for a few years, I'm t- talking to them about, you know, the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, um, Jacoby, and interestingly talking about your name. So this is published the week after my interview with David Jacoby. 
Oh, there you go. Mostly. There you go. So there you are. I, I got into the names. <laughs> <laughs> First name, last name, whatever. It's Jacoby. So thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. You've given me a lot of food for thought. I'm sure you've given a lot of other people, a lot of listeners, food for thought. And yeah, I think that for, for many of us, it's a bit of a slow time at the moment with with COVID and you know, it, it's a little quiet, certainly is for us. So this is a great time. This is a great time to settle down and, and start thinking about that, uh, that exit strategy. So thanks so much. It's been a pleasure and I'll look forward to round two. Thank you, Heather. I appreciate you having me on. Wow, that was that was outstanding. I hope you got as much out of it as as I did. You know, this is just not an exercise we've really done. We've really never really thought about it over the years. But I, I love the idea of just sort of doing the housekeeping of all the administration processes. I mean, some years ago, we decided to hire a general manager and, and that's worked particularly well because I, I've been able to step back a bit and spend the time doing the stuff I love to do, which is content management. You know, I can sit all day writing content for the website. I don't want to be necessarily on the phone with with either owners or guests and dealing with issues and problems. And so our general manager now has the ear of all our owners. She's out there talking to them. She deals with their questions, their queries, their problems, their issues, uh, dispenses advice, recommendations, handholds, etc. And she does it extremely well. We hired perfectly for that role. And when we when we brought her on, it wasn't necessarily, you know, certainly wasn't because we were planning on selling. It was because we wanted to step back a little bit and, you know, reap the benefits of being in the business for 19 years. So Jacoby mentioning that I think was such a good point. Uh, the other one, of course, which was the homeowner contracts, but of course, you know, really work at bringing on more units and particularly those of you who have suffered in the past year by losing units from owners who no longer want to rent out, which, uh, which we've done. We've lost you know, a significant amount of properties and we are replacing them but it uh, it just makes it more important to keep that momen- momentum up okay so the, that's it for another week we are continuing to build our list of vendors in our virtual vendor showcase so don't forget to go on over there at uh, vacationrentalformula.com forward slash vvs and and you can check out um, any new vendors as they come online And my spotlight this week is on the Guest View Guide. Uh, You can go and check out Guest View Guide uh, on the Virtual Vendor Showcase. But uh, the the reason I wanted to spotlight this one is that we trialled one in one of our properties last summer. And it was amazingly successful. If you don't know what the Guest View Guide is, it's like a rectangular TV screen that you put on the wall of your property. And it's a touch screen. Guests can come in. Um, it's it's linked into your system. So as a guest walks, walks in the door, they can touch the screen and it will say, welcome Smith family. And any other message you want to give. And 
anything they want to know about the property, you can have on the guest view guide and also link in to local attractions, restaurants, events, etc. Anything you want them to know about. And we, we had some great feedback from the guests who stayed at, at, at the property where we were trialing this. So I suggest you go over, uh, have a look at the guest view guide business listing on vacationrentalformula.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from people who have the guest view guide in use in their property and just hear how it's working for you. So thanks once again for joining me. Always a pleasure to be with you. Uh, I'll be looking forward to the next instalment of my interview with, uh, so round two with uh, with Jacoby, where we're going to be talking about uh, buying a property management company. But also I want to um, be asking Jacoby any questions that you have. So this is going to be in about four to six weeks time. So if you have questions that you'd like me to pose to Jacoby, please email me at heather at vacationrentalformula.com and I'll make sure that we have your questions. We could even get to record the questions so you could ask them yourself. So please let me know. I will be waiting to hear from you. So I hope you have a great rest of your day. Enjoy the weather wherever you are, and I'll see you again next time. Thanks again for listening to this episode brought to you by NoiseAware. And just a reminder, when you make your purchase with NoiseAware, use the promotional code VRFORMULA to receive 20% off. For more information and to connect with the NoiseAware team, visit vacationrentalformula.com forward slash NoiseAware. Or simply click the link in the description section of this episode on your smart device. It's been a pleasure as ever being with you. If there's anything you'd like to comment on, then join the conversation on the show notes for the episode at vacationrentalformula.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I look forward to being with you again next week.